From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Ant-Man and the Wasp, I learned a thing or two about designing these costumes. And so one of the, the first discussions I had with them is, okay, how do we do this so that I can get in and out of this quickly? So that if I need to use the restroom, <laughs> it's not going to be a big ordeal. <laughs> They need to be reminded that there's a person under this who needs to actually live in this and move and act and do stunts. So sometimes they just need a little reminding. Having played one of the most iconic superheroes of all time, Catwoman in Batman Returns, Michelle Pfeiffer reveals that it was the hardest costume to wear. By the time she was doing Ant-Man and the Wasp, she'd learned about designing these costumes and had the right questions to ask. I'm Jazz Tanke, and on this bonus edition of the Variety Award Circuit podcast, we talk to the legend that is Michelle Pfeiffer about her new film, The Comedy French Exit. Pfeiffer discusses her role as this New York socialite who must adjust to life after the money is gone. She also talks about her business venture and her hopes for expanding it. And of course, she reveals the fitting process for her iconic Catwoman costume in Batman Returns. It's all on this bonus edition of Variety's Award Circuit podcast, so stay close. Based on the book by Patrick DeWitt, French Exit stars Michelle Pfeiffer as Frances, a widowed New York socialite who takes her son, played by Lucas Hedges, and moves with him to Paris to spend the last of her inheritance. It's all gone. Every penny. What was your plan? My plan was to die before the money ran out, but I kept and keep not dying, and here I am. The hens are clucking. Are they saying I'm broke? They are. What about my apartment in Paris? It's just sitting empty. What is it? An invitation to a party. Come in. Where are the others? It's just us. I thought we might become friends. I've no need of friends in my life at the moment. You're being a dick. <laughs> I'm sorry. Pfeiffer is known for appearing in a wealth of films, including Scarface, Dangerous Liaisons, What Lies Beneath, Mother, and Tequila Sunrise, to name but a few. After taking a lengthy hiatus from acting, Pfeiffer finally returned to the screen a mere four years ago, and she's been busy both on and off screen. Pfeiffer spent much of the pandemic focusing on promoting her fragrance line, Henry Rose. Meanwhile, French Exit has sparked critical acclaim for the role and buzz around a potential Best Actress nomination for Pfeiffer. I recently spoke to the actress about French Exit, her career and her business, but we began by checking in on what she's been up to during the pandemic. I'm grateful that I'm able to weather this and I'm able to continue working. Um, uh, primarily I've been working on my, uh, Henry Rose, my fragrance company, um, all year. And, uh, you know, we've all just sort of pivoted and, um, man, and now we're doing press and we're all doing it, you know, virtual and we somehow are making all that work. Um, it's just one big improvisation, isn't it? But, but I'm, I'm doing okay, but I'm, I'm, I like everyone. I'm just ready for it to be over. I know. It's just everybody's really challenged by it and to different degrees, but we're all ready for it to be done. <laughs> I feel you. I feel I'm like, gosh, we're still here. It's December. We thought it would be two weeks, right? When LA went into lockdown, 
And, you know, what, nine months later, we're still doing this, haven't traveled, haven't put heels on. Like, what is life? If we had just hunkered down and stayed hunkered down, you know, really, and we just didn't do it. I know. So here we are. Fingers crossed. Here we are. Here we are. But thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And I'm really excited. And, you know, one of the films, I love French Exit. I love Frances. She is such a character. Um, I mean, in terms of reading the book and the script, like how did she differ and what was it about seeing the script that stood out for you? Well, Patrick DeWitt's voice is so um, unusual and it's just so delightful. And his sort of use of, you know, these disparate tones of comedy and tragedy. And um, I've, I've heard him, I'm quoting him and he says how he uses comedy as a, as a coping tool for a lot of his characters. And, and it just was so unusual, this world. It was a world I had never really entered into. It was a world I never, so it was just every step of the way, I, I just didn't know what to expect. And I loved Frances. I mean, she's obviously um, curt and rude at times, in fact, most of the time. But, you know, she also possesses this kind of underlying fragility and um, she's still a force of nature. Um, You don't really necessarily understand her. I think she's kind of a kind of a mystery and and she's and I it's also the thing that I love about the films that Azazel Jacobs directs and and the, the people that that Patrick write about is they sort of take you into these very kind of insular worlds and worlds that it never even occurred to you that you necessarily wanted to know about. Right. Mm. And they show you what is interesting about these people and why you should know about these worlds and what is the sort of commonality with them, you know, and this, so I'd read the script first and then I immediately went into the novel and, you know, it's such a great adaptation, I guess, because, you know, Patrick and Oz sort of collaborated on it. And, but I really felt they did such a good job. There's just so much in the book. Of course, you can't get everything from a novel into a script. That's always the complaint, but I really feel like they captured the voice of the novel. Yeah. I mean, you talk about that world and, my gosh, what a world it is. You know, Francis leaves, what, a hundred euro bill for like a two euro coffee. Um, I thought that was a brilliant scene. And, you know, it's just look into that New York socialite world. Um, talk about the research that you did, like who you spoke to and what were you, I guess, what were you surprised to learn about the world that Francis lives in? Well, mostly what I did and mostly my job, and it's particularly with a character like this, is to try to find the humanity in them and to try to find what I have in common with her. And I think that is definitely with this piece. And, and, in, and in some ways, all of these characters, the challenge for all of the actors and for Aza, but he, he definitely 
in one of the um, earliest meetings with him, you know, we talked a lot about what is the tone of this and, you know, and I, and it was very important for him that we not play to, we not lean too much into the eccentricity of these characters that we really spend the most time grounding them as much as possible, because no matter how much they're going to be eccentric, no matter what you do. So, and I, I didn't grow up in this world, obviously. In fact, you know, my first kind of exposure was, I guess, probably making films in New York City. And there would be a lot of, I met a lot of people, crew members who were, who had kind of grown up in that world and, and their mothers were very much of this world. And uh, it is, it's a very sort of insular kind of society. It's like this sort of, you know, and I just remember kind of going to their homes and just feeling like a, I don't know, just sort of feeling dirty and like a potato, you know? (laughs) (laughs) One of my best, closest friends was, you know, a kind of, kind of grew up in that world, you know, went away to boarding school and, and all of that. And I never, I just never understood any of that. I never understood I have a hard time on, you know, wrapping my head around, like sending your child away to boarding school. I mean, I just, I know they do it. I know they do it in England. I know that it's, it's a thing, yeah. but it's just something that is so foreign to the way I grew up. I love that. And I mean, talking about sending your child away to boarding school, Lucas Hedges is so great. And I love the dynamic that you have with him. Talk about like bonding with him and just, you know, being his mother on screen. Well, he's so just delightful and he's, I don't know, he has this sort of poetic soul, Lucas. He's like an old soul. And, you know, we met, uh, he came, actually we met early on um, in Los Angeles and we did sort of a little kind of read through and that was our first meeting. And then we spent some time right before shooting, rehearsing. And I mean, I just automatically fell in love with him, you know, and it's such a strange relationship, these two. I mean, they're both kind of obsessed with each other in different ways. So it didn't really, you know, you just kind of show up and it was just sort of there. I didn't have to really work at it. How exhilarating was it to step into Francis's shoes, especially after coming off, you know, the Marvel universe? It was kind of, it was scary because it was, she was, she's daunting, you know, she's bigger than life. But again, how am I going to make her a three-dimensional real person? And how are we going to, in some ways, relate to her? And again, the dialogue is very stylized. And in some ways, it was one of the hardest pieces I've worked on in in terms of how do I stay true to the stylized nature of this piece and this person. And she's kind of a throwback and she's not really even of this world. That's part of the problem with this characters because now she's in a situation in life where she is being called upon to be a part of this world and to struggle 
like everyone else on this planet and try to find skills that she just doesn't have. So I was excited, but I was really daunted. I have to be honest. Wow. What was it like? I mean, I'm obsessed with Jane Petrie's costume design and I loved Frances's wardrobe. What was that like, that collaboration with her? And it was a real, it was great. It, and, you know, she, she, like most costume designers, I find, in fact, I'm going to a fitting this afternoon for something. It's so informative for me um, because costume designers have to get into the head of the character and then they, but they really are immersed in the world. You know, they're, they're usually way ahead of me in terms of immersing themselves into the world that all of these characters live. And so I, it really gets my brain working and, um, but it was a lot of fittings. It was a lot of kind of, you know, trying things. Oh, we have it. And then coming back and going, no, actually, I think it needs to be more this, but I'm really happy with where we, where we settled. So here's a fun fact that we talked about this morning at, at work, that if you get nominated for French Exit and if you were to win Best Actress, you'd be the fourth oldest Best Actress winner of all time. You'll be four days shy of, of being 63. So in the last 15 years, three women in their 60s have won Best Actress. Do you see that as a shift or turn for older women getting more roles written and available to you? Like, it's mind-blowing when you look back at the history of that. Interesting. Boy, that makes me feel old. <laughs> um, you know, I guess it must be. I mean, I also think it's, it's, there's just been such a huge shift with women getting more and more really great parts and more really, really good material. And I think just in general, and I think that is across the spectrum of age, uh, and I do think that what we're realizing is that there's actually an audience appetite for these kinds of movies. And, you know, they, they still are interested in seeing us. So sometimes you, you know, it's really the public sort of informing the business. Yeah. Um, you talked about Henry Rose at the beginning where did that idea to create the fragrance come from? I, I And I love following that on Instagram, by the way. So if nobody's following, you know, if you're not following it, follow it because it's fascinating. But what made you go down fragrance? Well, I love fragrance. And when my kids were born, right after my kids were born, I started, I just started paying attention to the world around me and, you know, uh, what was in the food we were eating and what was in the products we were putting on our bodies. And, um, I just became more and more concerned about, you know, the, the toxic environment we were living in. And then, um, I stumbled upon the environmental working groups, uh, skin deep cosmetics, the see cosmetics database, uh, skin deep. And, um, I went down the rabbit hole because it's a, it's an amazing resource that allows you to uh, really check the toxicity and the safety of the ingredient of the products you're using, the ingredients that are in the products you're using, find safer products, uh, you know, and um, at that time, this was uh, many years ago, decades ago. And 
So the thing that kept popping up was um, fragrance as being really highly toxic. Well, long story short is stopped wearing fragrance for about 10 years and I couldn't really find, you know, a quote unquote natural fragrance, organic fragrance that really, you know, smelled like a really sort of premium fragrance. And I got frustrated and I thought, you know, a person shouldn't have to sacrifice quality for safety, period. So many things to be stressed about in the world. And this is not one of them that we should be stressed about. And so I thought I would try to see if I could develop one on my own. And that started, I don't know, I'm well over 10 years ago. It's 12 years ago. And it's been, you know, an uphill battle and we launched a year and a half ago. So it's basically a line of, of fine fragrances that meet the environmental working groups, safety standards. We're verified from them and we are cradle to cradle certified, which is another watchdog in the space. And it's been just really exciting and we've been really successful and we have a beautiful line of fragrances and we have candles and we're sort of moving into other categories. Um, and yeah, that's how it started. And so now I, um, I know more about business than I ever thought I would. That's amazing. I, I know like when you read up on, on like fragrances and what's in there that you, you know, as women, we just like spray every day. Right. And then you just suddenly think, what am I putting into, what am I inhaling and what am I putting on myself? Yeah. And the other thing is, is that, you know, fragrance, fragrance is in everything, you know, because I would look at products, not just perfume, but I'd look at products on the website and it would be fine. And it would be, okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. And then it fragrance would just ping it. Now, a lot of that was because of the, the lack of transparency it's just been the last holdout of ingredient transparency in the beauty world, you know, and then you get into it and you realize that it just, so that, that, that fragrance is basically, you know, it's basically a black box of ingredients. And it also is like a, like when you see fragrance on an ingredient list, it'll list all the other ingredients and then you'll see fragrance. Well, what that means is it's sort of like a bucket it's like a bucket of potentially up to, you know, hundreds of ingredients. And you can basically, under the ingredient of fragrance, if it smells, you can put it in fragrance and you never have to really disclose what it is. Um, and fragrance is in everything. And, you know, yeah, women and especially, especially sort of adolescent girls, I mean, they're just putting everything on. It's in their makeup. It's in their hair products. It's in their perfume. It's in their body lotions. And I just, once I started learning about all of this, I just thought I've spent years. It took, took me having children and being concerned about their health to open my eyes and really start looking at what is in the things, the products that I'm using on my body. And all of these years I've spent exposing myself and you know, one of the things I would love to do is really, really reach, reach those sort of 13, 14 year old girls, 12, you know, when you start kind of experimenting with all of that. Yeah. yeah I mean, maybe the, the way to reach them is through the, that this is just going to segue into um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, you know, because 
that audience, you know, it's a young audience. Um, and Janet is, an, is a fascinating character. There's so much to explore about her. Maybe that's what's going to, maybe we can get that in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania in 2022. That would be, yes. Hope that might be a great opportunity to do that. You know, it's just you're dealing with different demographics and and marketing is different for obviously that age uh, as opposed to, you know, 25 to, you know, and then it sort of changes each, each demographic. And, um, but definitely we're having a lot of discussions about how to reach, reach that younger and, and men too. I mean, boys too, you know, because they love their cologne, Mm -hmm. those young boys, they love their, there's a, you know, there's like a really popular cologne and and I'm not going to mention the name of it, but there's this really popular cologne that young boys love. I think my son actually uh, wore it when he was in high school. And um, there's a story of a young man who is, he's so allergic. He goes anaphylactic. I mean, it's really a life or death thing for him. And he literally cannot go to high school because he will die. Oh my gosh. And all they, all his mother wants and all he wants to know is what is in it, what is in it so that I can learn what it is that I'm actually allergic to, that I'm this allergic to, you know, it doesn't affect everyone like that, but it affects him like that. And, you know, he's not the only person out there who has these kinds of deathly reactions to things. And then even if you're not kind of, if you don't go anaphylactic, you know, maybe you're the kind of person who gets a migraine and it just wipes you out for the day. Mm -hmm. And it affects people in all different kinds of ways. No, I get those migraines that wipe you out for the day. And it's uh, when you have a lot of work to do and you're like, really today of all days. And it's like, what is it that's triggering that? um, Do you have a sensitivity to fragrance? Do you know? I have to get te- I have to get tested um, because I'm getting them more frequently. So it's like this is not a good sign, and mm. yeah, I need to find out what the the trigger is as such. Yeah. So, talking about costumes, um, which was the hardest to get into, yeah. Batwoman or or the Wasp? I, I mean, I'm just a you know, I mean, I love my costume design, so I I kind of want want to know because they're not easy. Catwoman was definitely the hardest to get into it was like an assembly line it was powdering down the inside of the cat suit and pow- and me to get it to actually get it onto my body and then it was after that was on and I sort of they went and they put this sort of oil all over me because it it actually didn't have that shine so they I think they probably have a material now that you wouldn't have to do that, but um, it was getting me in and out of the boots and then the claws and then, you know, and then the corset. And of course there's hair and makeup as there always is. But, you know, I remember, (laughs) I remember walking up to my trailer in the morning and there would just be these, this line of people there (laughs) waiting to help me get ready. And I would just be like, Oh God, (laughs) Um, so when I, when it came around to me doing Ant-Man and the Wasp, I learned a thing or two about designing these costumes. And so one of the, the first discussions I had with them is, okay, how do we do this so that I can get in and out of this quickly so that if I need to use the restroom, (laughs) it's not going to be a big ordeal. (laughs) 
my gosh. I think costume design has has evolved like significantly, right? From what from when Batman Returns was made to now, and the technology has changed too. Well, it has, but but still, they need to be reminded that there's a person under this who needs to actually live in this and move and act and do stunts. Um, so sometimes they just need a little reminding. Take note, costume designers listening. Um, so one of one of your most like beloved films out on social media is Grease 2. Every time, I, I think not a single week goes by where I don't see somebody refer to Grease 2. And it's so loved. What do you remember about filming that? Oh, it was so fun. It was just so fun. We... God, we were all, you know, just these young dancers and young actors. And Pat Birch was such a kid at heart. And we worked, it was a closed down school, I think. And we kind of took it over. And, well, we worked in various locations, but I remember being there. And I just remember it being, I mean, we worked really hard, long hours like we do. And I had to work really hard because I wasn't a singer, wasn't a dancer. So I had to work harder than most people would to pull all of that off but i just remember having a lot of fun robert michelle thank you so much for joining us on this podcast in this episode that was a great conversation and appreciate your time my pleasure french exit will be released in theaters on february 12 2021 And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Mike Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Janelle Riley, Clayton Davis, and Michael Schneider, I'm Jazz Tanke, and we'll see you on the circuit.